We are constantly being bombarded by noise. These noises compete for our attention and seek to convert us to a particular way of thinking or even to a product. And the constant chatter of this noise is, is intentional because it taps into a fundamental human need to connect. Yet the way it's lived out, in many ways, is idolatrous. One version sets up the idolatry of creating a desire to create a better version of ourselves by adopting to the latest fads, self-help trends, or even diets. Another version of this idolatry is the feeling that we have arrived and we want to advertise just how righteous, just, and virtuous we are. We as a people are perpetually being drawn into the illusion that our salvation lies in either our perpetual recreation towards worldly perfection or just displaying how righteous we are in front of others. But what if the call to conversion is a much deeper experience? To what are we converted to? What is the effect of that conversion? Today I'd like to suggest that conversion is the fundamental movement from a clenched fist to open arms. And this, con con uh, this conversion is rooted in the acknowledgement that we cannot save ourselves for our salvation is in the name and hope of the Lord. And the effect of this salvation is the opening up of our arms to embrace the generous, life-giving love of God. In the words of Henry Nouwen, the converted person sees, hears, and understands with a divine eye, a divine ear, and a divine heart. In other words, conversion is to see with divine eyes, to hear with divine ears, to feel with a divine heart, a heart that breaks down the stone wall of judgment in order to allow the generosity of God's grace to flow through our lives. Today, Jesus describes two fundamental human gestures. The first is the clenched fist mentality. Now, this mentality consists of those who desire to justify themselves they recite how holy or righteous they perceive themselves to be. Basically, they're virtue signaling with every word that is spoken so that their holiness is on display. In fact, these people even publicly display their gifts to God. You know, God's due for the tithe. And then also we see the Pharisees' comparison here. 
He compares himself to other people, ultimately highlighting his ritual act of fasting as a type of virtue signaling. Yet isn't this what our first lesson warns us not to do? Remember the words of Sirach, who lived in Jerusalem in the second century before Christ. And all his practical wisdom, he writes, do not offer God a bribe, for he will not accept it. And do not rely on a dishonest sacrifice. The clenched fist posture is also exemplified by another story in Luke's Gospel. There is a young member of the ruling class who asks Jesus, what must he do to, etern to attain eternal life? As if e gaining eternal life is some sort of game. Now Jesus sees him and he offers the various commandments, to which that ruler, perhaps with a smile, a glib smile, says that he's kept all of them since he was young. And with kindness, Jesus says that the one thing left for you to do is to sell everything, give to the poor, and follow him. At Jesus' words, the young man's heart sank because he had a clenched fist. He could not open his arms to even try living into the experience of God's generosity. Now let's for a moment contrast this to someone with open arms, to someone who cries out to God for mercy. Our gospel suggests that the tax collector opens his arms before God and cries out for he feels distance from God. And he is yearning, calling out to God, seeking warmth and compassion because he knows he can receive that in and from God. Now later on in Luke's Gospel is the story of another tax collector, a man named Zacchaeus. You know, if you, if you were in Sunday school, you may remember Zacchaeus was a little man sitting on the tree. You know, that, 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 that song. No. So Zacchaeus, you know, who sees, wants to see Jesus. Yet the curious thing about that story is that Jesus sees him all the way on that tree and calls him down and says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And he, when he comes to, when Jesus goes into that house for dinner, the experience of conversion occurs. Zacchaeus' heart transforms as a symbol that when we experience God's kindness and generosity, our hearts become open Conversion happens. Transformation is on its way. As we experience God's generosity, we are called to pass 
that generosity on. In Zacchaeus' life, it led to an amendment of his life. His heart became open to recognizing where he has fallen short, and he gives all that he can. My friends, in the church we have a fancy word called grace. Grace is that, it's, a, it's, just, it's a fancy theological word that we use to encapsulate the generosity of a loving God. Because when we experience God's generosity or God's grace, we experience God's love in action, God's love embodied. And the reality is that our Christian faith journey is all about experiencing God's generosity in action. Christianity is a call to perpetual conversion. And that conversion can only occur when we put our self-righteousness in check. Open human hearts tap into the open heart of a generous God who demands nothing except our reliance on Him. Conversion to God's generosity changes our hearts of stone, our hearts of condemnation, our hearts of self-righteousness to hearts of flesh, hearts of acceptance, hearts that are self-aware. For conversion is the ultimate experience of God's generosity and grace. Now the amazing thing about our faith is that God does not compel us to do anything as a result of this conversion, as a result of this salvation. Because conversion actually frees us. It frees our heart to give cheerfully, like Abel, who gave the best of his first fruits. Like Abraham, who gives his 10% or his tithe to the priest. Like the widows we, receive, we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament, who give all that they can to the work of God. Or like Zacchaeus, who gives half his wealth to the poor and promises to repay those whom he has cheated four times what they were owed. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us to spread the joy and love of conversion, to pay it forward, because paying it forward is the path of sharing life in all its abundance, of sharing Jesus in this world that so needs Jesus. So today, as your rector, I am inviting you to ask some fundamental questions. One, how or where have you experienced the generosity of God in your life, that life-giving grace? Secondly, as a result of that joy, not out of compulsion, but out of a willingness to share, how will you pay it forward? Let me offer you this thought. If the church is essentially the hospital for the converted, 
or the space where we put our self-righteousness in check, how do we promote that experience as we go out the doors of this church today? In all of this, my ultimate question is this. How do you intend to live your life? Will you live your life with a clenched fist? Or will you live your life with open arms? The choice is yours.